every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Is the life for me. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, the fourth Saturday of the month. So we are talking urban farming. Farmer Greg is joining us via the tech, the, the, the modern technology miracle Zoom. Good morning, Farmer Greg. I see the video background radio listeners can't see, and you've got a beautiful, uh, are those peach trees sitting behind you? Those are peach trees behind me. Beautiful display of peach trees. And and it just so happens to be the topic of today, fruit trees. Oh, there there you go. Well, uh, you know, I'm a a proponent of why plant anything if you can't eat it. Good point. Good question. Good question. And there's a lot of other things we could get into as it relates to shade and the reduced exposure. But that's not – we we can accomplish that with an edible tree too. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, there are edible trees like mesquite and Palo Verde. They make beans that you can eat and they grow tall and give us all kinds of great shade that you can grow fruit trees underneath. Oh, fruit tree underneath a mesquite tree. Never thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. They provide provide a nice amount of shade, not complete shade. You know, the desert, desert trees aren't dense shade. And the other cool thing is both the Palo Verdes and the Mesquites are nitrogen fixers. So that means all those little leaves that fall off of them throughout the year, they have a little bit of nitrogen in them. So that'll, uh, you know, that'll fertilize Organic the ground fertilizer. underneath the trees. There you go. But we are talking uh, more specifically today, fruit trees, because we've got our, uh, you know, the, the pop-up nursery will be coming and the annual mm-hmm. fruit tree orders. And uh, let's talk about uh, first of all, uh, looking at your talking points here, the, the three no-nos in shade <laughs> trees. <laughs> yeah. So what I've learned over the years, I've learned two very significant things. Thing number one is what you can do to kill your trees. And thing number two is all the data that you need to have in order to make sure that you get a tree that actually fruits here in Phoenix. And so we're going to talk about that in a little while. But let's talk about how to kill your fruit trees. And why would we want to know how to kill our fruit trees? So we don't kill our fruit trees. There you go. <laughs> that was exactly. a very Miyagi way you presented that <laughs> question. Very good. <laughs> exactly. And one of the, so one of the things that I've noticed over and over and over again that people do to kill their fruit trees is they have a gravel or dirt yard. And they take this brand new little tree and they plant it out in the middle of a gravel or dirt and don't provide it any protection from the sun. And my thing, and this is a perfect time of year to do this, go out at three o'clock this afternoon and stand for 20 minutes where you want to plant this fruit tree or really any tree and ask yourself, would I want to live here? That 20 minutes, you will feel like an eternity. (laughs) Yeah, if you last 20 minutes. Right. Get yourself a tree costume that you can put on and then go stand out there so you can get the real effect. Start the timer on your phone and it won't be 30 seconds. You'll be looking at it like, all right, how long have I been out here? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I get a lot of, uh, you know, input from people because I invite people to email me at fruittrees 
at urbanfarm.org and with their fruit tree pictures. And you can't imagine the trees that I see, the pictures that I see of stuff that people do. And I have solutions for all of it that I've developed over the last 45 years because I planted my first fruit tree here in Phoenix in 1975. Um, I have killed a lot of fruit trees, not on purpose, but now I know what not to do. And planting them in straight up dirt or gravel is a death knell for the tree. So no dirt or gravel. And if you stay tuned through the hour, you'll learn what to add with it. Exactly. But we've got another, a couple more points to cover here first on what not to do. Right. So, yeah, I have solutions for all of this stuff. You just have to listen. And thing number two is planting a tree right in the middle of a grass lawn. What invariably happens is, is the grass lawn out competes the tree for nutrients and you get this poor little stick in the middle of your lawn. So, Um, and there's, I had a question about that because you've said that before and Mm -hmm. and you look at a city park and they've got these big trees and lawn all around it. So Mm -hmm. how, how did they plant the tree first and the lawn came later? There's a myriad of things that could happen. First of all, you actually planted in the lawn and the, and the, the tree succeeds. Uh, and I've seen that happen before in spite of everything and how it's treated. Uh, number two is they actually cut a basin out and put woody mulch around the basin. We're going to talk about that in a little while. Uh, and that, you know, that helps a lot. Um, but there's so many factors inside of lawn and lawn care that work against fruit trees. So if there's one successfully growing in a lawn, it's because it either had extra care or just you just got lucky. And an observation I made is you look around it and that lawn has died off. Like that, the shade from the tree, it kind of protects itself and it pushes the lawn out. So you never yeah. really see it all the way up to the trunk. The tree kind of has a way of, you know, keeping the light from getting to the uh, grass that it needs to grow and it, it kind of makes its own defense against it. Yeah, and that that eventually happens, absolutely. So no lawns. And, and well... You can do it in a lawn, but I have a, you got to have the solution. I'll talk about that in a little while. Um, thing number three that you want, don't want to ever do is drip irrigation. You never want to put drip irrigation on your trees. I have a solution if that's your only choice, which I'll share about in a little while. Uh, but th- these are the three things that invariably kill fr- more fruit trees than I've ever seen. And that's that you planted in a very hot microclimate, grass or or gravel or dirt. Um, You plant it in grass, so the grass outcompetes it, or you drip irrigate it. And usually what happens is you get one drip emitter right next to the trunk, and it comes on for three minutes or eight minutes once a day. And you're getting this little column of water that goes down and waters that area, and all of the roots in the drip line of the tree. So the drip line, imagine you have a tree and it's eight feet tall and eight feet wide. If you stood right above that tree and looked straight down, anything on the ground that you couldn't see, that's inside the drip line. That's at least where the roots are at. And if you have one drip emitter right next to the trunk of the tree, it's just putting water 
right next to the trunk of the tree and the rest of that area is not getting any water. Hence, we get these storms that happen and knock over trees. We've all seen them. It's because the trees aren't getting deep watered. And that's really what we need to do is make sure that you are putting a system in place so that tree gets deep watered. Deep water means deep roots and deep roots means non blown over tree from a microburst. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, as I said earlier, I've got solutions for all those, but there are some things that people need to know about fruit trees in the desert. And I've developed this over the past 25, 30 years of looking at nurseries and big box stores. And there's just one thing that frosts the daylights out of me. And that is that you can go into every big box store and most local nurseries, and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit here in the Valley. And there's a myriad of reasons for that. I'm gonna cover that next, but you need to know these things if you're going to successfully grow a fruit tree and get fruit. And thing number one is what we call chill hours. We get, and this was as of five years ago, we get approximately 350 hours of chill in the low desert. Chill is anything under mm, 43, 42 degrees. And it, it, it cumul- accumulates over the course of the winter. So, so from November to February, those are the when the chill hours show up. We get about 350 hours. If you plant an apple tree or a peach tree uh, or um, uh, a plum tree, apricot tree, that requires more than 350 hours of chill, it is highly likely that you will never get any fruit. So you need to make sure that the tree that you're buying, the deciduous fruit tree, this does not count for citrus, the deciduous fruit tree that you buy requires less than, I'm even going 300 hours of chill these days because it's getting warmer here. So you need a low chill tree. So when you walk up, do you have something, Romy? I was going to say, did you have like a website that you use to look at a chill hour map so you could see the different elevations throughout the state? There used to be. It no longer is. Oh. I know. I know. How, do you, how so does we that, have, something like that go away? That's well, quite a handy tool. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, so just assume that if you're in the low desert, you need to get a low chill tree, less than 300 hours. When you walk up to that tree that you want to buy, the deciduous trees, these are apples, peaches, apricots, plums, um, those kinds of things. Look, grab the tag on the tree. And if it doesn't tell you how many chill hours are required, walk away from the tree. We all have smartphones. You could actually look on your smartphone and um, you know look it up if there was a name on the tree. But I was at a Walmart a few years ago and I always walk through, whenever I go near those places, I walk through their garden center. And <laughs> I walked through the garden center of this Walmart and there was a tree in there and all the tags said was peach. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of different varieties of peaches and a dozen of them 
we'll make fruit here in the low desert. And all that tag said was peach. Run away from it as quick as you can. We've got a lot more to talk about here with Farmer Greg at Rosie on the House. That was peaches pumpkin pie. Who's not ready? Holler high. Let's all play hide and see. Continuing our conversation on a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. I don't know about you, Farmer Greg, but when I left the Whitman Plantation this morning around 5.30, there, there might have actually been a slight little chill up my spine. Summer months are soon going to be behind us. Yeah, well, and we got a lot of rain in August, July and August this year, which was magical, and that greened up everything. It did, and and magical is what the desert looks like after a great rain. And we were talking about chill hours, but there's more yep. to uh, – that's above ground. We've got to also pay attention to below ground when we're doing our fruit tree selection. So there are different rootstocks for different areas. So Seattle, Washington will have a different rootstock on a peach tree than Phoenix, Arizona. So you have to make sure that you have the right rootstocks. Um, and, you know, we all have smartphones, look it up, or just visit us at our program. We do all kinds of education. We'll have uh, our fruit tree launch coming up in a couple of Saturdays with uh, three hours of education. And I will do over 30 classes in the next two months on these different topics. So I, and they're all free, they're all online. So I invite you to check out fruittrees.org and you know, come and take a free class from me. Um, and so fruit trees for the last, uh, I don't know, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, they haven't been grown by the seed of the fruit. They are right. actually grafted. You've got the rootstock, like you're talking about, and then you've got your fruiting plant. And there's people out there, but they're profession or grafters, and they take this great root stock and they match it with this great top producer for whatever uh, area of the, you know, you were saying Washington or Arizona. Yep. They've got different root stocks set for those areas, and they put on different varieties to those, and they are not grown by seed. And the thing to know about that is that if you buy a uh, a rootstock that does well in Washington state and plant it here, good luck. So all of our, in our fruit tree program, we cover all this for you. We got you covered. I, I was going to say, I guess you, technically they are grown by seed, but they don't stay in that variety. They end up getting paired with another one for certain zones. Right. The rootstocks are actually grown from seed. Yeah. yeah. The third thing that you have to know is about ripening times. And I discovered this over the course of the past 15 years and that is that for the soft flesh fruit, that's your plums, pomegranates, mulberries, grapes, berries, uh, peaches, apples, apricots, they have to be ripe and off the tree by about July 1st. Otherwise, they just cook. Yeah. And I'm going to cover here in a minute the different varieties that are available uh, for those Um and then the, the other question you have to ask yourself is for a fruit tree, uh, if you plant it, the fruiting viability, you know, is if it gives you two or three fruit, is that worth your time? <laughs> you know, you can plant some fruit trees out there and literally it'll give you two or three or 10 different pieces of fruit. In my opinion, it's a why bother. I want to plant an apple tree yeah. or a peach tree that'll give me two or 300 pieces of fruit. Yeah, the birds, will, the birds will get those 10 before you ever get one. <laughs> right. So the varieties that grow really well here, obviously citrus, one of the five C's in Arizona is citrus. 
Um, there's two varieties of apples, Anna and Dorset Golden. There's two varieties of apricots, Katie and Gold Kiss. There's eight or 10 varieties of peaches, Desert Gold, Eva's Pride, uh, Mid Pride, Tropic Snow. Um, those are a few that come off the top of my head. There's a couple of plums. Uh, pomegranates, mulberries, grapes, berries, olives do really well here. And no, they're not illegal to keep here, um, as, as well as mulberries are not illegal to keep here. Uh, quince and jujubes, those are all deciduous trees that do really well here. Well, that's a pretty respectable list. Yeah. Yeah, you can get, uh, you know, you can get a nice amount of fruit. And there's a bunch of things you can experiment with. And I tell this to people all the time. If you want to experiment, please experiment. Just know that you're experimenting because when you're experimenting, you're spending money, time, energy, water, fertilizer. And if you get this tree to grow successfully, yay on you. But if you're stepping into this experiment, not knowing you're experimenting and you're doing all that and after four years you're not getting any fruit and you're significantly disappointed that's when i tell people don't experiment if you just want a fruit tree like a desert gold peach that will give you an obscene amount of peaches in three years if you plant them the way that i tell you that's what we're going to talk about next segment if you plant them the way that i tell you then you will get an extreme amount of fruit and it's good to have a couple successful varieties, mm-hmm. a couple trees uh, before you go experimenting so that when you are dis- – if you do get disappointed with your experiment, well, you still have these other great producers already established for you. Yeah. Just know you're experimenting. Oh. And, you know, again, if you go to fruittrees.org, right on the front page is our catalog. And that catalog shows all the trees that we carry. And guess what? Those are the ones that are extreme producers here. They do really well. And it makes a lot of sense to grow your own. I mean, why why wouldn't yeah. you if you've got the the uh, you know you don't even need a big yard, Greg. The urban farm you have over a hundred trees and the the lots a third of an acre. Yeah, it's actually I, I've uh, scaled it down. I have about sixty five trees now, sixty five fruit trees, and it's eighty feet wide and one hundred and sixty feet deep. And if you have a small lot, I mean, if you have a you know, 400 square feet, you can put a couple of fruit trees in there, no problem, and keep them small. We're going to talk about that in segment four. Halfway through our conversation this morning in our outdoor living hour with Farmer Greg talking fruit trees for your home castle or cabin and uh, how to be successful with that. And we've talked about what not to do. We've talked about how to select one. We've talked about varieties that work. Let's get to, let's get our hands dirty, Greg. Let's get to the digging process. Let's get these in the ground. Perfect. So we have developed over the past 20 years of educating a really, really good way of making your trees thrive. And it starts with your tree hole. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to pre-dig your tree hole. And this is a hole that is two foot wide by two foot wide. So it's a square hole and about 12 to 18 inches deep. And it is somewhat dependent on the size of the pot or the tree that you have. 
So you want to make sure that the tree, the tree hole is, you know, at least 50% bigger than the pot that you, that you're working with, or if it's a bare root tree, at least 50% bigger than the root system. Bare root basically means that it comes to us with no dirt around the roots. And um, it's actually the best way, in my opinion, to plant a tree. Um, and from what I understand, root. the way they used to always do it, the, the potted mm-hmm. is a newer, and I say newer, like 50 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So basically what's happening is when they harvest a bare root tree, and again, these are your peaches, apples, apricots, plums, nectarines, mulberries, that kind of stuff. When they um, harvest the tree to move it, they're digging it up out of the ground. And they're digging it up out of the ground when it's dormant. So it's being shipped dormant and it arrives with you dormant. So your job is to get it in the ground while it's dormant. If somebody puts it in a pot and sells it to you three months later, once it's budded out, then you take it out of that pot, the soil falls away from the roots, the roots have to get damaged and you have to start over again. So that's why we like bare root trees. You dig your hole two foot by two foot by 12 to 18 inches deep and do the next thing I want you to do is called a perk test or a percolation test. You're going to stick a hose in the hole and make sure that it drains out completely within about 24 hours. If it doesn't, you need to dig a bigger hole. Uh, Janice, one of the people that I that works with me, um, when she did her perk test 48 hours later, the hole hadn't drained. She had a severe caliche, so she you got to big dig a bigger hole and loosen up that soil so that you get it draining. On Go the ahead. caliche, would you dig it wider instead of trying to dig down through it? No, I dig down through it dig, if at all get, possible. Get past it, okay? Yeah, if at all possible, you you want to break that caliche layer so that it's draining. I wonder if you could get some kind of auger, a big old industrial concrete drill, and oh yeah. I mean, it's a uh, lot easier than trying to dig through caliche. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've used a jackhammer before to. Plant okay, trees. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's you got it. That's right. It's that's the what desert. It takes. All right. So then, what goes in the hole? This is really, really important. You have your square hole. What I want you to do is, I want you to save about forty percent of the dirt out of that hole. And if you guys have listened to me at all in the past four years on. Rosie on the house, you know, five components of healthy soil, dirt. If all you have is dirt, good luck growing anything, but you need dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. So with that in mind, what I want you to do is I want you to save 40% of that dirt out of that hole, put it in a wheelbarrow, and then you take the equivalent of 60%, some kind of planting mix or compost. We've created through tanks down in Tucson, Farmer Greg's planting mix. It's specifically for this. It's it's organic matter. It's two different kinds of compost. It's uh, uh, perlite and cocoa peat. And you mix that in the wheelbarrow. So you got that 60-40 mix along with, and we're, we're going with more extreme this year, two pounds of azomite. Azomite is a micronutrient fertilizer for your tree. Two pounds of worm castings. Worm castings are life and micronutrients and two ounces of mycorrhizae. That is soil life. And you mix all of that up in the wheelbarrow. And then you plant the tree on a mound in the center so that the tree comes up 
in the center on a, you know, kind of uh, up maybe four or five inches, because the next thing I want you to do is what we call my six, six rule, six inches of woody mulch, six foot diameter basin. So this is how we address the gravel heat, the dirt heat, the grass. You cut a six inch deep, six foot diameter disc down into the soil in your space. And then you fill it with woody mulch. And that woody mulch, six inches of woody mulch, immediately starts breaking down into incredibly amazing, healthy soil. It's like mind-blowing soil after you know six or eight months there. And you're going to, especially in a gravel area, you're going to um, refresh that mulch probably twice a year. Now we sell mulch by the bag. You can buy mulch by the truckload and have it delivered from Arizona Worm Farm. Or you can plug into a service called Chip Drop and you can find them at chipdrop.com. And um, I recently noticed on chipdrop.com, they have a community board. So if somebody gets a load of woody mulch in your neighborhood and they have too much, you can go, you know, you can coordinate with them to get some. So there's plenty of ways to get woody mulch. Chip drop. Mm-hmm. Um, these are arborists that go out and yep. trim trees and it may not be residential. They may be, you know, guys clearing trees uh, around power lines. It might be mm-hmm. uh, city workers. I mean, it, whatever the case, that costs money for the tree companies to go and dump take it. it to the landfill. Yeah, and there like are 400, 500, 600 dollars a truckload, so you're saving them a lot. You are. And even if it's uh, one of the landfills that might have a composter next to it and they're pulling it out, um, mm-hmm. they still have to sort it and they don't they got to pull out the pond fronds and uh, there's certain things they won't take. Well, you can just sign up and say I want a load of chips. And so when mm-hmm. you've got an arborist that signed up on Chip Drop, they get done with their workload for the day. They look at Chip Drop, oh, there's Greg's house, he's in, you know, a half a mile away from us and he wants a load. Instead of having to go all the way down to the landfill, they just come yep. to Greg's house, back up the truck, <laughs> and you got a nice big pile of mulch. And like you, I didn't know about the new form where you could, Greg could then turn around a post and, hey, I just got a dump truck look dumped here and I only need about half. Anybody else in the neighborhood in need of, Woody mulch. Yeah. So what you have to know about chip drop, this is really important. You will get up to 30 cubic yards <laughs> of woody mulch. That is a pile eight feet wide, six feet tall, and 20 feet long. So just know that if you coordinate with chip drop, you could get a bunch of woody mulch. So. And, and that's not a bad thing if you've got the space for it because you'll use right. it eventually or oh, yeah. your neighbors will use it or whatever the case. Now, and one more thing is if you needed it today, may not be the right solution. It's just when they're in your area, when their truck yeah. is full. And so you might end up on a waiting list. It may take you six months. They may be there in six hours. You you don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've exactly. I've I've signed up for it. Four years ago, and I still haven't got a drop. But I mean, we live in an well, area where, where there's yeah, <laughs> there's not a a lot of people. But and then that's on purpose. We like being rural, so 
uh, you, exactly. you just you're at the mercy of of the company. You're more condensed in town. You're going to get it serviced a lot quicker. So that's one. You mentioned a lot of soils, uh, the the worm casting, the azomite. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of that is all sourced locally, and that's one thing we love about Tanks Green stuff as well. They're local in Tucson. We're not bringing in materials that's being trucked or shipped from, you know, out of state. Minnesota. Right. <laughs> Minnesota. Yeah. So here's that. I'm glad you brought that point up. It's, it's really important that you get locally sourced um, materials when at all possible, when it comes to soil, first of all, it's expensive to ship. Secondly, if it's coming from Minnesota, it's got microbes from Minnesota. It's done. It doesn't have microbes for Phoenix or Arizona. And uh, thirdly, by sourcing it locally, you're supporting a local business, which we need to do that a lot right now. So from from many different perspectives, it's important to get local soil. And then you also talked about the PERC test. They do that when they're uh, for septic systems, and it's just yep. it's a measure of how fast the water drains through your soil. That's important. Right. Uh, we were talking caliche. That's a very hard material that's underneath our clays that doesn't allow soil to drain or the the soil to drain. So Mm -hmm. if you're in that situation and you're putting a bunch of water on it, that water's not going to drain, even though it looks dry on top, six inches down, that water stays in our clay a long time. And if it's just sitting there and the roots can't dry out, you're just going to rot your tree out. Right. Quickly. So that'll kill a tree within two or three months. Wow. So, yeah, exactly. So, I love the I love the perk test idea. And it also, uh, it's great if you need to make it wider, you, you're, it makes your digging easier too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then there's shade. And I, I want to cover this real quickly before we cut into the break. You need to shade that tree. Remember we talked about um, August, stand out in the yard in an earlier segment. If there are three ways to shade your tree, you can plant a ground cover underneath it. Shading the ground is a huge way to shade the tree. Uh, I was out in front uh, the front yard in 2017 in August, and it was 140 degrees at ground level in the dirt in my front yard. And it was 89 degrees underneath the sweet potatoes and cowpeas that I was growing. That's enough to have your tree succeed or fail. Uh, second thing to do is um, tree wrap or tree paint. And the third thing to do is grow some kind of shade. I call it paid for shade or grown shade. So remember we talked earlier about the mesquite trees, um, you know, planting some kind of shade trees on the west side of your fruit trees or put up some kind of tarp uh, cover for the first year or two. All great. Really important. All great ways to do it. And I, I got a new Gregism for you you can have. When you're talking about the ground cover as a way uh-huh. to shade your tree, cool roots means happy shoots. Oh, nice. I like that. I'm going to write that down right now. Down to our final segment with Farmer Greg. And we've got so much to talk about. We're just going to jump right into it uh, with water methodology and fertilizing now that we've got our tree selected we've got our hole dug tree in the ground with the proper soil combination and and wood mulch around it now we got to water and fertilize 
So I know that we're throwing a lot of information at you. So I just want you to know anybody that steps in and takes my free classes, we have five different in-depth classes that we give on these different topics. I've got printed content, PDFs. You, there's a membership area for our fruit tree program. Um, so there is tons more information in depth on this. So don't, don't panic at this point if you wanna plant fruit trees. I got you covered. And so fertilizing, there's two kinds of fertilizing that we do, uh, granular fertilizing. Uh, we suggest that people uh, fertilize on Valentine's Day, Tax Day, Memorial Day, and Labor Day with a granular organic fertilizer. We sell two of them, one from Global Organics, which is out in, in uh, Litchfield Park. And we sell the other one from Tanks. They're down in Tucson, Tanks, Green Stuff. And there's a really big reason to go with organic fertilizer. Uh, I go into it in my classes, but it's organic fertilizer builds healthy soil. Chemical fertilizers negatively can negatively impact healthy soil. And what we're going for here is healthy soil. The second kind of fertilizing that we've stumbled across about three years ago is foliar fertilizing. With our extreme heat, uh, 2019 was our hottest summer ever followed up by 2020 was our hottest summer ever, followed up by June of this year, which was globally the hottest June on record. Thank gosh it cooled down. But what we're seeing is a lot more tree damage, not just in fruit trees, but in all kinds of trees. When you're driving around, especially this time of year, just look look at the horizon and see how many dead trees there are out there. And it's it, it, it will amaze you. Um, and one of the ways that we can help prevent that is called foliar fertilizing. It is a granular, I'm sorry, it is a liquid fertilizer that is sprayed on the leaves and the trunk of the tree. And we have an entire uh, foliar fertilizing schedule for you. We have an entire fertilizing schedule for you in our fruit tree program that tells you what to do each month. Um, so foliar feeding uh, is significant in helping your trees thrive and make great fruit. And then watering, we talked about watering. What we need to do, and this may sound strange to people, um, but once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer, is up until about three years ago is what I used to tell people that they, they need to deep water their trees. Yes, I said once a month in the winter and twice a month in the summer a deep water on your tree and that people get freaked out about that. I didn't invent that. I happened to grow up in the 70s and 80s on a piece of ground that was a citrus orchard that had flood irrigation. And then I bought in 1989, a piece of ground that has flood irrigation and has citrus on it. And so what they were doing is they were getting watered once a month in the winter and twice a month in the summer. And guess what? The trees were thriving on that watering system. Here's the thing. Overwatering a fruit tree and underwatering a fruit tree, the damage looks the same. So when you're watering your tree, Romy, you know, your tree's looking great. Then all of a sudden on, on May 1st, it starts to droop a little bit. What are you going to do? Add water. <laughs> of course, you're going to add water because you think, right? And then uh, three or four or five days later, it's drooping a little more. What are you going to do? Add water. <laughs> add water, exactly. And so what one of the big things after planting the wrong way, one of the big things that kills trees, believe it or not, is overwatering. 
So we have tools for you. We have a, a soil probe that we have available that helps you determine how much water your trees have. We have moisture meters. Um, the woody mulch basin around adds a lot of um, spongy around your tree um, that helps shading the tree with, uh, um, with some kind of something, shading the ground. That, these are all things that help preserve the water. That being said, with our extreme weather, um, we need to make sure that we're checking that tree every week in the summer to make sure that it's damp enough and that it's, uh, you know, getting enough water. And uh, like I said, we have tools for that. Urbanfarm.org? There's my main website, fruittrees.org, is where you find out about our fruit tree program and sign up for free classes. And on the front page is our amazing catalog that Janice recently put together. And one thing, I don't know if we talked about... uh dwarfing at all and it came to my mind when we were talking about planting a tree under a mm-hmm. uh, uh under a palo verde or a mesquite uh-huh. that's you know you're buying a at that point probably a dwarfed variety that's designed to not go much more than six or eight feet they've grafted it that way you know you're not planting you know, you've seen citrus trees that are 30 feet tall the, the hotel tucson's a great example of how yep. big a citrus tree can get there is one dwarf rootstock that does well here in the desert and it's on a peach tree most of the rest of the dwarfing rootstocks don't like this desert soil so we have a whole program called our backyard orchard culture program where we teach people how to dwarf a tree by pruning it because remember if you plant on the wrong rootstock there's a good likelihood that your tree's not going to thrive so Stay away from dwarf trees. Come and take my classes on how to keep the trees small. It's called Backyard Orchard Culture. Fruittrees.org. That's Farmer Greg. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Thanks. Thanks.